welcome back to the Resilience Institute podcast, season two. This is episode three. Uh, it is technically, though, the first time I've ever had a guest uh, on the podcast. And if you are watching this on YouTube, you would see this is the first time I've ever done a video podcast. It was a lot of fun. I was uh, had the pleasure of having Adam Meekins on the podcast. He's someone I have followed and resonated with since the first day I was posting on Instagram uh, and we, we got in touch um, and, and developed a bit of a relationship with our um, our shared passion for certain things. We go into all things manual therapy, strength training, rehab, um, talking about specific diagnoses. We go a bit into the shoulder um, and really it was a really enjoyable chat. He has a lot of experience and a lot of um, in a lot of different areas of physiotherapy uh, and he came from a personal training and strength conditioning background and and we talk about how he found his way into social media and and the things he believes and is, is going through now um and so yeah it was a great chat a lot of laughs a lot of fun a lot of uh shit talking as you would know following me or if you do follow adam as well um so enjoy so I also in in terms of uh my stuff uh keep an eye out in the next three, four days to a week. Uh, I'm do, we're doing a bit of a, uh, for the pain codex model, we are dropping a new version of the solo templates. So they are the templates and training programs uh, you can do yourself uh, if you're a bit more advanced than the one-on-one. But we are really excited to, we're almost flipping the industry on its head soon. So we are making training like decent, good training accessible for everyone. Uh, so we're doing an announcement and a giveaway for that. And the prices of these templates are going to be ridiculous. Um, and that is the whole point. We are trying to make training accessible to everyone. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, if you're not already, go follow Pain Codex uh, um, on Instagram and keep your eyes out for that. We're going to do a bit of a drop. The Pain Quiz is also coming soon. So if you want more info on that, uh, follow Pain Codex. But um, get ready for this drop. It is going to be a big thing where we are making it affordable for everyone to access good training and not have to rely on manual therapy and all these passive treatments. So keep an eye for that. Uh, if you want to see any other guests on in the future, uh, let me know, reach out, send a message. I've got three or four big, pretty big names in this industry that are going to be coming on and we're going to start getting um, having chats and discussions about a lot of different things from people who are experienced in their field. And I really want to make this a, a podcast where, yes, I do my my talks and educate, but also we get other people on to get different viewpoints and different analogies that may resonate with you a bit more. So if there's anyone you want to see, reach out, keep an eye out for the announcement, go follow Pain Codex if you're not um, already, as there's going to be a big giveaway. Um, but until then, enjoy the podcast. Uh, Adam was a pleasure to have on and, and I'm very lucky that he was happy to come on and be number one. So enjoy and talk soon. Adam, thank you for joining me on the podcast. As I was just saying, you are officially the first one I'll ever interview. Yeah, thanks very much, Aidan. Uh, thanks for the, the invite and uh, the privilege of being your first guest on your podcast. Let's hope I don't fuck it up for everybody else who may be coming along after me. <laughs> and as you're saying, you, you could be the last. So we'll see how, we'll see how it goes. Um, Time will tell. Yeah. Um, but so first thing, like I, I was going to say is like, I, I feel like I know you, like I've been following you for that long. Like you were one of the first people I ever followed on Instagram. And I think it is cause we, like we, I did resonate a lot with you, like the, the simple stuff and, and we'll go into that. But, um, for, for people who don't know you, um, did you want to tell them a little bit about yourself and, and how you got to where you are and, and what stuff you kind of doing? 
Sure. Well, to answer that question first of how I got where I am, I've got no fucking idea, if I'm being honest, mate. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of these things that was a, a fortunate accident and coincidence uh, to get popular on social media was not any grand design that I had. So it was a mm-hmm. complete accident, if I'm being honest. But in, in a nutshell, I'm a physiotherapist and uh, I have been for 20 years now, over 20 years now, um, but I haven't always been a physio. It's my third career in my life so when I left school at the very tender age of 18 years of age I went into the military for a few years I uh, got a bit of exposure of a bit of discipline a bit of uh, organization uh, following rules and regulations for a few years and uh, thoroughly enjoyed that uh, also got incredibly fit thanks to the military as well and got that's where my passion into fitness really kicked off I think um, I left the military for various reasons I won't go into uh, quite early on, a um, bit unexpected, and uh, found myself on Civvy Street not knowing what to do with myself and uh, then decided to use my passion for health and fitness and went into personal training, which was unregulated, still is mostly now. Mm. Uh, so I wanted to get a bit of officialness to it. So I went back to university and did a degree in sports science first and uh, got a BSc in sports science. I came out as a sports scientist, which back then in the 90s was a bit of a useless degree because nobody had a fucking clue what sports science meant or what it was. Uh, I still don't think they do now. <laughs> in the 20s a lot of the time. Yeah. So again, I started working again as a as a glorified personal trainer in a few clubs and places, really enjoying it, loving it, but still had a, a passion to learn more and uh, working with clients who were getting injuries. I thought, you know, it'll be a good way to, to expand my horizons, go and learn a bit more about injuries and rehabilitation. So I managed to blag my way onto a physiotherapy undergraduate program and did my second Bachelor of Science in Physiotherapy and say graduated in... 2000s and uh say the rest then, is history and, and then here we are. Yeah. now you're stuck talking yep. to me um and i, I think <laughs> one of the, the highlight of my career now yeah man. this is it and i think the the one of the things and it might be from from your experience in the military and, and going through all these things is that you really and it's one of the things i first uh liked about you and, and latched onto was like the the simpleness of it and actually making things simple and you've got your your painful shoulder course that you talk about and, and we'll go into that but where do you think we are now in terms of and, and it was one of the questions people ask is is how in, like we're overcomplicating things now and, and obviously you may have seen in the military or or the pt industry that that people do overcomplicate things like um how did you come about that and and, and what do you kind of think about the industry at the moment and, and how we do tend to over overcomplicate things yeah, so it seems to be a, a human trait overcomplication, and I think there's a number of reasons for that. I think one, the biggest one, is is we all got our own inferiority complexes. We all got our inadequacies, and we think a lot of the time incorrectly that by complicating things, by making things to say more simple, we're dumbing things down and we're showing our ignorance, and therefore that's why we tend to prefer to complicate things, exaggerate, conflate things, because it gives this illusion of knowing more, having more skills, more knowledge, etc. Yeah. Uh, so I think you know there's this innate human bias just to want to 
demonstrate to other people wherever possible that you are smart, intelligent. And so that's why I think we have this, this tendency to overcomplicate shit. And I think it's always going to be there. I think it's never going to disappear. And it is something that we have to recognize and try to work against and try and overcome that, you know, sometimes complication can't be avoided. You know, there are things out there that are complicated in the world. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a case that not everything is simple and clear cut, but as Einstein famously said, we want to try and make everything as simpler as possible or simple as possible, but not simpler. You know, it's about it's about just trying to focus on what are the key factors that we need you know, to focus on. What's the other stuff that is adding confusion and complication and which parts of this is unnecessary for us? And, and there's a lot of that in health and fitness and in, in rehab circles. There's a lot of superfluous, unnecessary fluff around the edges that you know it may in some situations for some people add a little bit but it's it often just gets in the way it often just acts as a as a barrier and it just adds confusion to things totally unnecessarily so you know it's it's for me nowadays to say a harder but simpler way to work to try and keep it focused on the simple things it isn't easy to do um, but when you do do it well, it can be really rewarding. Um, but yeah. it's just hard. It's challenging to do. And I think that's another reason why it's not done often enough. It requires more effort uh, yeah. cognitively and physically, I think, to simple things down, to to make yeah. things clearer and concise for people. And I think also, but then it gets challenging when you do have uh, like people who want to get fixed and are trying to do these things. It's they don't almost like simple. And I, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. I know what your thoughts are on manual therapy and all these kind of things, but they want the the quick hack or they want the quick fix or they want the, Oh, I don't have to go and train my, uh, do my shoulder rehab or do my whatever rehab. Cause I just want to go get a massage. And that's one of the biggest things that I, I probably um, resonated with was that manual therapy, the, the foam rolling, the stretching, like what, what are your thoughts on, on how that is and, and how do you deal with that with clients to kind of, educate them enough so they that you can explain that there is a complicated part of it but that makes them actually build trust in you and actually like um build into the process yeah another great question mate and again who doesn't want a quick fix who doesn't want to make their life easier or simpler you know i i totally understand that and i totally get that when people seek that out and look for that because i do you know and i it's not just in injury rehab or health and fitness improvements and performance but it's in all walks of life i was laying a patio this weekend and fuck me if i could have tried to make that process simpler and easier i would have done you know i'm sitting here looking do i really have to prep the ground do i really have to go down that deep do i really have to put this extra base layer down on top of everything else before i start putting the cement on and i'm thinking if you want to do it properly then yeah you do have to make things a little bit harder and difficult for yourself. You know, you could take the shortcut, you could do the the quick and easy approach, but you're probably not going to get the outcome that you want. You know, you may initially find something that looks okay. So my patio may be okay for a couple of months if I didn't put that base layer down. Um, but if I want it to last longer and I want it to be sorted for the duration, then yeah, I'm going to have to put that little bit of extra effort in. And I didn't enjoy it. it you know, I was grumbling and moaning and effing and jeffing as I was digging down and compacting the base layer. You, you um, swearing? But, you know, no. I'm sure. Uh? You <laughs> swearing? No. Since when? Just a little bit, mate. Just a little bit, mate. 
but yeah, you know, it's, now it's, it's done. Example. You know, I look back and I'm I'm happy it's done. You know, it was it was hard work. It was is a pain in the ass doing it, but now that I've done it, I'm glad that it is done because it's now set it up for a, a better result now and in the future. And again, I think that's there's some good analogies there for what we do. You know, it's a case of. You know, it's got sometimes just grind out the boring, simple side of the things first, get it done before you start to worry about focusing on all the other superfluous stuff, you know, yeah. just set your base layers. And I think that's, that's, that's a good analogy. I use all those kind of ones like with my clients and it is, it's like it may last um, two weeks or three weeks, but then what happens if you get a bit of wind or something like, and I think that's the challenging part with working with people is getting them to understand that or buy in and educating them about why these things don't work. What have you found is one of the 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 ways you typically rely on or, or always go to with clients to actually get that result and get them bought into it? How do, how do you do it? Well, I'll be open and honest and say that it doesn't always work, mate. I don't always get people to buy in, you know, and, and again, I think that's something that's not discussed enough is that we all have our failures. We all, we all, fail probably just as much as we succeed with clients and people for for various reasons and i think you know there's no one approach there's no one analogy there's no one treatment that uh, gets 100% results with 100% of the people all the time it's a case of recognizing that you know those that don't come back you lost to follow up who don't return to see you they've probably gone and found somebody else that resonates with them better or you know for other reasons just decided not to come back to you so I'll put that out there first to say that this approach that I use doesn't work with everybody. Yeah. It's not easy and it's not guaranteed to work. But you know that I just like I prefer to be just as honest as I personally can using my experience and knowledge of probably all the things that I've done wrong in the past to educate myself and to other people about where I think their time and energy is better spent. Cuz I often say to people, you know, I've I've done all these things. I've tried all these things personally for myself, but also as a as a therapist, I've tried using all these various different modalities, techniques, and uh, I've just found the results to be very hit and miss, unreliable, and often very short lasting. They don't actually make any significant difference in the grand scheme of things. So, yes, you can try them. You know, the good news is there's very little risk or harm with a lot of them. Um, it just wastes time, energy, and effort and distracts attention away from stuff that I think would be better off spending attention on. Yeah. And that's probably the biggest <laughs> so thing. So just being open does... and honest, really, is the approach I yeah. take. And when you say the 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 better things and the bigger things, one of your things is like that can't go wrong getting strong. Um, what yep. what is your obviously a lot of people disagree with that and they say, oh no, but strength isn't everything and strength doesn't matter and it's about this and that. What are your thoughts on that, and and what do you try to, to try to use, and what are some of your methods, and and with the the can't go getting wrong, getting wrong strong. Yeah, no, I I think those people who are critical of that are wrong. <laughs> yep. It's a hill I'm prepared to die on. Um, yep. I I know there's nuance here. I know there is arguments, and I I can sort of see where they come from. You know, my good friend. Greg Lehman is probably one of the biggest critics of this approach that I have. And, you know, I listen to Greg a lot because, you know, I've got a lot of trust and respect for this guy. Uh, but I still don't agree with him a lot of the time when he does have these criticisms. But, yeah, I've been accused of being too overtly exercised, biased and focused in my practice as a therapist, as a physio. 
Um, and they seem to think that's some sort of insult to me, but it ain't. <laughs> I, I'm fucking proud to be exercised and movement biased and resistance training and strength training biased. And I think every healthcare professional should be. It's something I'm trying to advocate in healthcare a lot, lot more to to get every person you see uh, who comes in with a health related problem, a physical therapy issue, a disability to try to engage them into some form of regular physical activity and resistance-based training for all the glorious benefits it has, you know, not only just for pain modulation, which is what a lot of people come to see us for. They want their pain modulated. They want their pain reduced. But that's not the only reason to use resistance exercise. It does reduce pain. It's no more effective than a bit of foam rolling. It's no more effective than a bit of quackery of dry needling. You know, these things do also modulate pain about the same sort of effect sizes as resistance based exercises. But dry needling ain't going to increase your capacity and tolerance to walk up and down a flight of stairs. You know, a bit of foam rolling isn't going to get your mobility in your stiff knee joints to be significantly changed and altered for the duration and the and the long term. Doing some resisted squats that push your knee into greater ranges of movement absolutely will do. And none of these other passive modalities are going to affect your physiology in any positive way, like resistance exercises do, you know, to improve your metabolic and cardiovascular status, to reduce your inflammatory markers and all these other things that resistance training does. So I, I bang on about the secondary effects a lot of the time. And the argument is patients don't care about that. And I get that. It's yeah. pain modulation, pain modulation, pain modulation. But I'm saying, you know, we've got exercises that's just as effective at reducing pain compared to all these other things. So this treatment is on par with all the other things that help reduce pain. So, you know, the primary goal of pain modulation can still be achieved. But then why not use an ex a, a, a treatment that has all these other secondary benefits over one that doesn't? It just it doesn't make sense yeah. to me. It absolutely is you know mind-boggling that therapists still think that the dry needling, the foam rolling, the massage is the primary treatment when you consider it from primary effects and secondary effects. It just doesn't make sense to me. And then half the time they do do they they get the pain modulation from maybe doing the foam rolling or whatever, and then twenty-four hours later their their knees sore again or their back sore again, and then they get in this loop yeah. of. And I think it comes back to that like people think oh it's so simple that it must be wrong. Like we must, there must be something more complex I can do or like getting a fancy needle, like, oh, that, that'll do something. And they think, oh, foam rolling's um, lengthening your tissue or, or removing adhesions and scar tissue. And I think people feel that they need that complex, the complexity to, to feel good about it. And, and that's where it can sometimes be difficult. But in your painful shoulder course that I, I'm still yet to do, and I miss out on the Australian ones, what is, uh, what's a little summary of that and an example of the shoulder? Like that's probably your best thing and, and probably the lower back as well with, with what you post, what, what approach do you take with the shoulder and, and how do you kind of uh, apply those principles to the shoulder and why that course is so successful? Cause I've seen thousands of people do it. It's always a, a big hit when you do it and you get your, your people doing their squats at the end with their hands in the air. Um, but yeah, what, how do you apply those principles to the shoulder and, and why do you think the shoulder is such a, a, a scary thing to rehab? Oh, where to start there, mate. There's, there's lots of reasons why I think shoulders are overcomplicated. Um, one is because of its anatomy and biomechanics that is very complicated and everybody gets focused into that and they start to 
get stuck into all the nitty gritty about scapular mechanics, glenohumeral joint arthrokinematics and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and so, again, you know, I just think it's this problem as human beings that we have is that we we look at the complexity of something, it confuses the hell out of us, and then we get paralysized. We get absolutely, we, we get stuck about how to proceed and we we don't take a step back and just look at the bigger pictures. And that's exactly what I found myself doing when I was specializing in the shoulder. I was going on more and more of these courses, reading more and more of the research and finding myself getting further and further down this rabbit hole of complexity. Um, and I found myself, yeah, getting getting paralyzed, getting stuck about, you know, what to do, how to proceed with this person who's got painful shoulders. So I took a step back. In fact, I took about 10 steps back, if I'm being honest. Um, and I didn't forget all the complexity, which is a lot of people seem to think, you know, I've, I've got a lot of information and knowledge. I just realized that, you know, a lot of it isn't really going to help me when it comes to managing somebody who's got a painful shoulder problem. So I took say, a, a good few steps back and said, what are the key factors? What are the key things that I need to focus on? And, you know, not to give away too many secrets of the course, but it's uh, rule number one is make sure there is nothing serious and sinister out there. A good healthcare professional should be doing that with everybody they see in pain. Because occasionally pain can be something that's a bit more nasty and complex rather than just a muscle or a tendon or a joint issue. So rule number one is always keep your ears and your eyes open for those signs and symptoms that could tell you that it's something a bit more serious and sinister, which luckily is quite rare. And then once you've done that to the best of your ability, you know, this is the bit that always blows people's minds when I tell them this is how I classify and deal with painful shoulders is to put them into one of three broad categories, which... You know, it's not only painful sh shoulders go into these categories, painful knees and hips and even little fingers, you know, they could also be used in this category. Is that painful shoulder stiff and restricted significantly? So it goes into the stiff group. Mm -hmm. Is it one that's loose and wobbly or unstable? And then it goes into the unstable, loose group. <laughs> or is it something else that's weak and painful on movements without any significant loss of range of movement or without any sensations of instability? And then it goes into that weak and painful shoulder group. So three very broad categories. You know, there is some diving on down once you put it into that category of trying to diagnose and ascertain the reasons as to why it's become stiff, loose or weak. But there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of, you know, problems with having the ability to be specific in our diagnoses a lot of the time. And a lot yeah. of the time we don't need to be. We, we often think we need a specific diagnosis to give specific treatments. We don't have specific yeah. treatments for any of these things. You know, our treatments are movement-based or, you know, these modalities which don't work specifically. We don't affect specific tissues. You know, pressing something in a certain direction at a certain amplitude, it doesn't just release the fascia. It doesn't just move a facet joint in isolation. It works on a human being globally, non-specifically. And that's the same with a lot of the exercise therapies we do as well. Yeah. So again, I think we we waste a lot of time focusing down on specific diagnoses when we don't have specific treatments. And so the question is, is why? Why are we bothering? Yeah. And I think that's a really that's actually that's a really good way to put it. Cause as soon as you you have this painful shoulder, if you can figure out what like in these broad little categories, it's like, okay, if it's weak and loose, we know to do this. And you can then get a bit more specific and say, okay, we don't want to be in if there's a, a dislocation, we don't want to have our shoulder in a certain position and we need to have these these things to think of. But I think 
so many people like protocols. It's like, oh, shoulder. Okay, now we have to do 30-degree shrug raises and we have to do uh, a towel with, with our elbow and rotate. And then we can't do that until we – and I think that's where it gets so complicated. Like it's 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 all this little minute details. It just goes back to, oh, raising and rowing and shrugging and pulling and pushing – that can't be, that can't be it. That's way too simple for a, an injured shoulder. And, and as soon as people latch onto these diagnoses, it, it goes down this massive rabbit hole. And I think it's just, that's, again, you said it's always going to be there and you can't really get around it. So, um, yeah, but we physios always like to stand out with their rehab exercises. They always like to have something that's different that sets them apart from a trainer or somebody else that gives exercises for strengthening or, hypertrophy reasons and i'm like why because a lot of the exercises that trainers use for strength and hypertrophy or range of movement improvements these are all good exercises for rehab you don't have to do things differently just because you're in a rehab situation you have to play around with the tolerances you have to play around with the loads and the parameters a lot because they are often different but the actual exercises you say the pushing the pulling the raising the push-ups you know all these things that you would use in a training performance situation are also perfectly fine to use in rehabilitation situations. But as you say, it's just not appealing. It's not sexy enough. It's not complicated enough. Sexy enough is probably the thing. And you see people, they they tweak an exercise 2% and then they put their name on it and say, oh, this is my, this is the Edgerton raise. And it's like, no, it's not. It's you doing that is changing absolutely nothing. You doing five degrees less is not doing anything. And I think, and it is. Or on a BOSU ball. Yeah, don't even get me started on that. Or we probably could go down that rabbit <laughs> hole of the, the civility and stuff. But and, and one of the things you said was like that non-specificity. And I've noticed um good old Locke, he um he actually unfollowed me too. He didn't like probably what I was saying too. I probably challenged him a few too many times. And I know you've had your troubles with him in the past, but with that, what do you think? What what is your thought process when it is a um a non-specific versus specific, let's say for the lower back? Because I know you you do a lot with the lower back. Um, how do you go about managing that and, and some of the stats on the backs and stuff? Cause that is a big thing that people are probably going to want to learn about. Yeah. And so this term non-specific back pain is a bit controversial and I do understand some of the arguments about not using it because it does come across as very invalidating to somebody with back pain. So, you know, it's a, it's a term that I use a lot when I'm talking to clinicians and other people in the uh, health and fitness industry. Um, but I often don't say that to patients. I often don't tell them their pain is non-specific back pain because they say it can come across as very condescending and arrogant and dismissive. So I very rarely use it with patients. So what I do explain to patients is a lot of back pain has uncertain sources and very much so very rarely does it have one specific cause because it's multifactorial, which all pain is. And so I tend to go down this pathway of explanations and terminologies. I say that back pain a lot of the time is not serious. You know, it can be seriously painful. You know, we're not trying to say it doesn't hurt, but it's not seriously medically. Mm. And I think that's a nice way to try and frame it to patients, you know, without invalidating their experiences of pain and disability, grief and frustration they're going through for these weeks or months that they've had fucking annoying back pain yeah but the key thing is is that we we're very hard pushed and we're very unreliable in determining a sole structural cause for that back pain it could be a joint it could be a disc 
It could be a muscle, could be a ligament, um, could be fascia, could be psychological factors, could be all of these things or any combination of these things. And as I say, the, again, the argument is, is that it doesn't matter knowing exactly where the pain's coming from because we have treatments that cover a lot of these diagnoses together. Again, no yeah. specific effects with the treatments. So yeah, we- again, I like to... I like to try and find patients and find out what their triggers are. You know, what are the things that trigger their pain? Or what are the things that trigger less pain for patients? What are the things that trigger relief? And then sort of use that as a as a way to plan and manage strategies to help with their recovery and rehab rather than the actual structure diagnosis. Yeah. And and that goes well with that like biopsychosocial, which I think obviously these days the pendulum is swinging now too far to the right. Yeah. People going, Oh, it's just in your head. Oh, it's just, you're just stressed. Like, um, and and that all also ties back into your can't go, can't go wrong, getting strong. How do you approach? Cause a lot of people, the, probably the biggest thing they, they get angry at you at is, is where you do say you can flex your spine, you can bend joints, you can push your body into these ranges if you adapt to it. Where do you see that in your rehab? Like, is uh, are you? Would you say you're more the psychosocial side, or, or um, and how do you think about? Do you, if at all, do you think about that when you are rehabbing someone? See, I, I hate this dichotomous splitting of am I psychosocial or am I biomechanical? Am I am I focusing on the kinematics and the biomechanics of back pain, or am I focusing on the psychosocial aspects? I hate this split because it often is combinations of all of them. So you know, I, I much prefer to say that I look at a person in back pain. I don't I don't approach it from a biopsychological approach. I don't approach it from a biomechanical approach separately. I look at a person. Yeah. Holistically, I think that's a better way of using it. I know holistic is a bit of a namby pamby word; it gets abused with all sorts of stupid shit. I was going to say lots of ads and stuff, <laughs> uh, but like you know, it's, it's looking at a, yeah. There's a lot of crap around the word holistic, um, but you know, it's just looking at a person who's got the problem and looking at all of the factors, and that includes the biomechanics, and that includes their psychology, and that includes their social environment. You know, but again, over the years, I've realised you know a lot of patients. They don't really want to know or appreciate all the intricacies of why you think somebody's got back pain. So nobody goes to see a physiotherapist or a trainer or a coach with back pain and expects to be told the reason you got back pain is because you smoke 20 fags a day and you only get four hours of sleep. I can guarantee I've tried that approach. All right. Mm. And, and it just doesn't go well. Patients, we know these things contribute to symptoms, but when you start to talk about it or educate to patients about it, initially, it doesn't go very well. So, you know, there's this, there's this, we have to sort of roll with resistance. We have to try to slowly, gradually encourage people to, to change their lifestyles without actually perhaps knowing that they are changing their lifestyles. Mm, Again, this is a little part. bit of surreptitious coaching, behavior change. Um, because I found that if you go in too hard or too fast with stuff, it just puts the barriers up, it breaks down any relationships you've had, and um, you often don't get the success or the results that you want. So I say to therapists, you know, find out about all of these factors that are going on in the patient's lifestyle and background, find them out, but don't start suddenly trying to change them, don't start getting too 
excited by saying, oh, I've got a patient here that only sleeps four hours a night. They've got terrible sleep hygiene. Therefore, I'm going to start giving people information and education about how to improve yeah. their sleep. And I'm like, that Too ain't going to go well. That ain't going to go well at all. Shove down your throat. <laughs> you, need, you need to find the right time, the right approach, and the right way to, to get this information across. And what's the famous saying about information to behavior changes like spaghetti to a brick or something along those yeah. lines. I've got to remember that you said that. But it, you've just got to pace yourself. You've got to fight what I call the writing reflex, which is when you've got information that you know is correct and accurate. You need to tell somebody about oh, it. I need to have got some inaccuracies. Sometimes. You've got just yeah. got to fight against these urges that we have and just and say pace yourself, find the right approach, find the right time to get these things, you know, across to patients. Uh, well and to be tolerated and accepted well and acted upon at the end of the day and and i think yeah. the biggest way that i found that i'm successful in this is just getting people to like you is it's just building trust and rapport with people and that takes time that doesn't happen overnight you know that doesn't happen in a 30 minute session you have to mm -hmm. work at building a relationship you have to work at building trust with somebody and once you start to get that, that's when you can start to find that you're going to get better results with your behavior change, your lifestyle modifications, and all these other factors. And for and on on my on a lot of my listeners that will want to listen um, will be people who are experiencing these things, and and they maybe don't aren't aware of it or they are aware of it but don't know how to change it. What's some simple tips? Um, or like let's pretend you're talking to a client that you would just some simple tips or or ways they can change things in the short term to build behavior change and and habits and processes and stuff. What are some for the person who is listening and they do have a sore back or they they are maybe a bit worried or they do have a sore shoulder, what are some of the simple or even just training? Like sometimes it's just general training. What are some tips yep. you would give them and and how would you kind of um help them maybe be aware of them or day to day or give them better habits to work towards where to start again i'm not one for many yeah <laughs> yeah not one for many you know cheesy one-liners or any sort of magic things here you know because there is nothing here that's going to work for everybody all the time as i've already mentioned i think the first step is just recognizing these factors i think when people are aware of them and they've got more information about them and they accept that these are probably contributing, then they tend to find a strategy that works well for themselves. Mm -hmm. So often we don't have to find strategies for people. It's about just getting them to notice them, accept that they are contributing. And then normally the rest looks after itself, I find. Yeah. So when That's a patient really, yeah. does finally realize that these four hours of sleep are probably not the best thing for their mental and physiological health, and they've started to accept that, then they'll probably think, you know what? I'm going to go to bed a bit extra early today because I know that it's probably having a detrimental effect. So it's just getting them to acknowledge and accept these things. Same with diet, same with health and fitness. No magic, no no recipes. It's just about recognition, acceptance, and then trying to make changes slowly, steadily, and gradually with acceptance that it ain't going to go well all the time. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be problems with it. You're not going to be consistent. That's fine. Accept it. Work with it. Don't beat yourself up about it. Yeah. And sometimes it's not even, it's not even getting them aware of it. Sometimes just bringing it up and, and people going, oh, that they, they may not go, oh, I, I sleep poorly. I now need to sleep better, but it might just plant that seed. And, and for the person who is listening, who may want to, or is in this situation and is like, no, it has to be my back or my back's broken, or I did it 10 years ago. It has to be my back. It's 
sometimes just knowing that these exist, there's going to get a point. And that's where you were saying with um, some of your clients, they don't, they just leave and they go to someone else who does tell them what they want to hear. But there's always going to be this point where some people just may go, oh, wow, it, it is that maybe like I've tried all these things and, and it's not working. And then you may not be the fix, but maybe you plant the seed and that's what goes yeah. on down the track. Well, that's a great point, Aiden. And I was going to say that, you know, in my situation now, I see a lot of people who have tried everything else first before they come to see me. And, and I think that's a process that a lot of people have to work themselves through with these things. And I get it, you know, as I said, who doesn't want the quick fix? Who doesn't want the the miracle cure that somebody is promising? And so I don't blame patients for giving it a try. I don't blame anybody for going and giving these things that have got dubious research and probably some ethical issues around them and how they're marketed and sold to people. But people go and try them. They give them out and see how they feel. And it doesn't do yeah. much or it doesn't change much. And then... And then they feel ready to try something else. And that's where I find a, a lot of my patients, they've gone around therapy shopping, nothing significantly helps. So they come to me and say, now what? I've tried everything. And I said, well, let's focus on this approach and see if this works. And I, again, open and honest with them, say it's not quick fix, not simple, not easy to do, but yeah. it's often the one that, that will get you there eventually. It's setting the base layer for your patio. Yeah, exactly. And like I was about to say, I was about to bring up the patio. It's like, once you get that base layer and you get someone thinking about it, it'll take time and it might, you might not get them straight away, but eventually it's like, oh, okay. And then you, you almost just by them being aware, eventually they, they do do it. So with, especially with social and this kind of links to social media too, how, how have you approached your, like you've been, I've seen you done social media for a while now. Like I think it was like 2017 or 2018 you started maybe. Uh, on Instagram, yeah, but I was yeah. on Twitter for years before I started Instagram. So Twitter was the main one that I started on, and now yeah. I'm more Instagram than Twitter because Twitter's died a death or X or yeah. whatever it's called now. Oh, X now, yeah, Threads God. So it's always a different thing. But <laughs> what? Because that that's actually in. Um, that's where I found you was on the Instagram, and then I think the first time we ever chatted was when someone messaged me saying, "Oh." I think it was like last year or something when I just moved um, up to Gold Coast. It was like, oh, you're the next Adam Meekins. Like you say the same stuff as him. I was like, I've made it. I was like, mom, I, I sent it to my mates. I was like, I've made it. Like that, I've done it. Um, and, and and then obviously I think it was then you reshared one of my posts about the four stuff. And we were talking about Bosu balls. And, and I think um, with social media, it can be so hit and miss. Like it can be, you're going to cop it. Um, you're, you, you're going to have posts that go well and posts that educate people. What's your process for dealing with that and, and talking to people? And, and even now with like the, the latest stuff that's going on with you, with all the physio stuff, how are you dealing with that? Like, how are you dealing with things in your life and, and that may be stressful and, and what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, good questions. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, recognize social media isn't the real world. It's, it's a separate entity it's something that's not quite realistic and as you say there's there's good parts of it there's negative parts of it and you just have to again accept that you just have to work with it and uh easier said than done don't let the the bad things play on your mind and don't celebrate your successes and your wins too much is is how i try to deal with it you know don't start believing your shit doesn't stink just because a, a post goes viral and a lot of people start blowing smoke up your ass which 
does happen and it's nice you know i'm not gonna oh. like you've just said here you know you made me you've, you've boosted my ego and given me a yeah. little uh little, little nice warm fuzzy feeling in my gentleman's area i have Hayden. to so thank I you very much <laughs> but and that's the thing but, i think yeah when people do blow this because even i did one on icing and the response like it went nuts like and i had people yeah. going, oh this is awesome but then you also do get the side of it where people are shitting on you talking shit about you telling you you're an idiot and I think once you know that it's it's not a you thing, they're not coming for you. They they've got their own things they're dealing with, and this is how they feel better about it. Um, you kind of can deal with it, and I'm getting better with it. I was someone who, ah, oh, if I got a bad comment, I'd be straight on it. I'd be like, no, but this said this, and I'm right. And now I just and you're probably at this point too. Like you obviously love a a bit of a um, comment war with people, and that's another thing I used to love. I I'd see you teeing off with all these people, and I'd be like, that this is elite, like. One of my mates, we went to uni together. He'd send me your post and be like, "Look at Meekins going at this bloke," and we just we just watch it from the sidelines. Um, and it's it's such a it's such a good thing. But how how did you get into social media? Like, how did you start doing it? Like, obviously, um, you're not old. I'm not calling you old, but you, you have been what 20, 20 years now or something like, and you've you've had a lot of experience. What made you go? Oh, I need to hop on social media and, and start going down that route. Initially, it was boredom, if I'm being honest. Um, so I, I got laid off from uh, a job that I had working in professional sport, you know, very suddenly, very unexpectedly. So I had, I had no other job lined up. So I was with a rugby team, a weren't you? No, I was in football, so- soccer, football. in uh, yeah. Yeah, Watford Football Club. Yeah. So cool. they had a, a, a change of owners. And as often happens when you get change of owners you get change of backroom staff and so literally all the backroom staff got nrl yeah. it happens here yeah, they're just little yeah. cl- little squads absolutely you, you you get you get the text message during the summer change over saying thank you but you're no longer needed um i got quite a decent payout though so part of my contract yeah. was you know if that was to happen i got uh, a, a nice little bit of reimbursement so i i, I got some extra spare time that was Paid a bit unexpected yeah, exactly. So I was like, what to do? I had no rush to go back in to find another job because I had this reimbursement. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to chill out for a couple of months, do a bit of traveling. And uh, that's what I started getting onto social media. I saw a mate of mine blogging. And this was back in the uh, 2007, 2008, maybe. And mm. uh Wow. You know, I thought, you know, blogging, what's all that rubbish about? I thought that was just for, you know, people telling them what they had for breakfast and stuff like that. So I thought I'd give it a go and just put my thoughts down on the internet, had a bit of a rage and a rant about things, and it just sort of snowballed from there, I think. So, you know, it's just having a bit of time, being at the right place at the right time and just being at a pleasant accident, really, and say my social media following sort of grew from there. And then it, say, just went from one step to the other. Yeah, and where where do you see yourself going next in terms of? Because I know there's a lot of people who who go, oh, Megan's like. So I had so many people go, oh, you're getting him on the potty. I was like, yeah, he's my first, not a not a bad start. But where where do you see yourself going next? Like, where's Adam going in the next five to ten years? What what's what's his plans? It's a great question, mate. And I think you know part of it is in the hands of other people at the moment, which is a bit frustrating for me. Um, but it. Uh, the simple answer is I want to carry on doing what I'm doing, but just continue to reach bigger audiences. I want to try and just promote this simpler approach, but without dumbing things down, try and, you know, get rid of all the silly bullshit and the confusion around health, fitness, rehabilitation, better to more people. Um, 
carrying on with the, you know, the educational side of it. I still want to be a mm-hmm. clinician. You know, I still see between 40 and 50 patients a week as well, working both in the private and public sectors as well. So I want to carry on doing that because, you know, that that's where I feel I get most of my satisfaction. I love the social media side of it, but I like seeing patients one-to-one. I like seeing a diverse range of people, you know, the athletic population, professional athletes, fit as anything, doing amazing things, but then also the sedentary population, all the other, you know, social issues that they have in their lifestyles going on working through these barriers and challenges. I love that diversity. I love to be able to mm. adapt my skill set in communication and assessment processes to be able to deal with different populations clinically. So I want to carry on still doing that. Yeah. But let's say that could be could be affected with certain things going on in the background, but I hope not. We'll see. I've got a bit of a, a battle on my hands, I think, with regards to this culture that we're in now at the moment about professionalism about how certain people dictate what they accept or consider to be professional, which in this day and age, I think is crazy in this world of diversity. Everybody needs to accept other people's, you know, diversities in various things, except in communication. It seems daft, you know, you can, you can look differently, you can dress differently, you can do all the other things differently, but you can't talk differently. You can't communicate differently. That that's, that's a big no, no, apparently. And I think it's a bit classist. Word, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm from a working class background. You know, I grew up in and around military personnel. I've used rough, coarse language all my life, and I will continue to do so. I don't class myself as somebody that's middle class, speaks with a plum spoon in my mouth, and I never will. Yeah, do. and um, people that, like you said about rapport, that I get so many people who went, "Oh, this is re-, like when I started. This is refreshing because you just speak like a normal human." Like be genuine, be authentic. That's that's the that's what professionalism is to me. Is be yourself, you know, be open, honest, don't be a shyster, don't be a charlatan. Um, but don't try to be somebody else that you're not, you know. Yeah. And that includes all your your inadequacies and your flaws and your personal traits that perhaps, you know, other people don't have. But be authentic, be genuine. It doesn't and always that, mean you have yeah. to be polite. Polite people confuse politeness with professionalism. Some of the most Devious, malicious scumbags I've ever seen in my life have been very polite. I can already think <laughs> very of polite on the outside, but they are <laughs> evil, malicious scumbags underneath it. And yet, yeah. somebody who talks with a bit of effing and jeffing, heart of fucking gold, you know, would yeah. go the extra mile to fucking help somebody out. Yet they just swear a bit every now and again, and they're considered they're considered immoral, lazy, you know, and all these sort of things. Bollocks to that. Yeah, uh, you, you, we. We could name. We I can already think. I know the top one I could think of, the old squat man. Um, but and and for that, like even that's not. Well, I was going to ask a question that someone had about that, which we can go back to. But how do you deal with that when someone does like is so obsessed with one thing or one person, like you see with with um Mr. Squat Man? How do you deal with that with with clients or on social media? Like, is is it just that you leave it and you just like let people do their thing, or is there there ways around it, or how do you kind of deal with that and not go on tangents and get angry? And yeah, I think it depends on the level of issues that I see it may or may not creating. So you know, if there really if there's it, yeah. a lot of misinformation that I think is really detrimental and harmful and really bad, then yeah, you, you've got to confront that. You've got to challenge that. You've got to call that out because, you know, I think that's a duty of a, of a healthcare professional. It's a duty of anybody, you know, that 
as is, is, is helping or looking after people that are vulnerable, that have got, you know, lack of information or understanding about things. They've got a duty of care to help correct misinformation and false information. But then there's other times where it's just, you know, it's minimally stupid. It's, you know, just yeah. somebody ranting off about stuff. Then, yeah, don't waste your energy or effort around it and just ignore it and move on. That's actually a really good way to put it. Yeah, it's 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 almost like you have to strike that balance between what's worth it and what people need to hear is wrong. Like I've got so many ones lined up of people saying your posture at work is is killing your back and you're like all these not like language. And it's like, people are going to see that I may not have a massive following. And even compared to you, you the rocks and stuff, you may not have a massive following, but if, if no one stands up for it and no one says anything about it, it's just going to become people become too scared to do it. Like you have to have people who are willing to stand up. And I think, I think it's such an important thing. And it's probably a really good way to put it of you got to pick your battles, obviously, but there's just so much bad. Like, it's like, Oh, stand this certain way all day or, and you won't get back pain or, Oh, if you don't, don't sit like this, or you're going to have a neck problem. And that's, that feeds into that biopsychosocial, like people's don't understand their beliefs about what they learn and maybe don't even know they know is, is causing half their problems. And I think, yeah, it's, it's, I got a lot of inspiration from you doing that. And now, Look at me go. I'm here ranting and raving every day. But <laughs> one of the yeah, we we need to challenge stuff, but we have to find the balance, as you said, mate. Yeah. Well, and going back to that um, industry one from the the Q and A I did, and there's a fair few questions there. I've, I've put down a few of them, and it's it maybe the way we can sign it off. One of the first ones was um, someone was asking, "You're still going to be a physio, and how do you, in terms of that?" But let's say there is that. Um, um, imbalance you may have in a workplace one of these people was a physio who's just graduated and he was asking how do you how even if they do have different beliefs or or whatever it may be how if you can how do you balance that and how do you go about it when you are um uh, working in those environments so I think the first thing to do is if you're challenging somebody who or challenging is the wrong word if you're you're looking to talk to somebody who holds different views and opinions from you. I think the first thing to do is understand where those different views and opinions have come from, from that person. So I, I like to seek a bit more information about why this person believes this, thinks like this, and, and find out where they've developed these ideas and opinions from. And, not, and often I find it's due to, you know, misunderstanding, misinterpretation of stuff. Um, so I think the first thing to do is don't assume, you know, malicious devious intent from people particularly from social media and you see somebody promoting something that isn't quite correct or accurate because it could just be that they've misunderstood or mm. heard it from somebody that they trusted and respected so never assume malicious intention with misinformation immediately you know often assume just ignorance and misunderstanding and then that goes with patient, patients that are coming into your clinic a lot of people sometimes have just got you know misunderstanding misinformation from somebody else dive on and find that out a little bit more and then i think you know when you're going to start to perhaps give an alternative explanation or you're going to give a different opinion seek to understand whether that person's willing or open to listen to it so you know i asked them i i've got different thoughts and ideas around this would you be prepared to hear what they are you know and a lot Some, of people will say so yeah simple. if you approach it that way a lot of people go go on then yeah absolutely Rather than you just diving on in and just start saying, ah, oh, that's nonsense, that's bollocks, here's this and this, that just comes across as being a bit of a dickhead, comes across as a bit of a knobhead. But when you just take that little step 
back, seek a bit more information, and then ask permission from somebody if they want to hear your alternative views and opinions, they're better tolerated. Now, I'm not going to say they're going to be accepted immediately, but they're more likely to listen to them because you've asked permission. You haven't just gone in there and started ranting and raving, and that puts the barriers up straight away. So whenever a patient says, you know, I've been told my pelvis is out of alignment and I need to get it reset, I sit there nodding, going, okay, right. Oh, fuck. Oh, you got pain. I'm like, I know. <laughs> In- internally, inside. I'm screaming and I'm I'm oh. like this internally. In- yeah. Oh, when I hear that, oh, even you saying that triggers me. I'm like, like you get friends and family Poor saying, you like, yeah, you just, well, we got to oh, tread carefully here, Hayden. We got to tread really carefully because I've made some big mistakes here. So when poor old Mrs. Miggins has been seeing the local chiropractor down the road for the last five years, for three times a week, having what she considers to be the best treatment for this pelvis that is out of alignment that needs to be reset three times a week with this shyster that's charging her 50 fucking bucks to do it each time as well. And inside you say, you're going, the fuck? Don't, don't start challenging that straight away don't start you know demonizing that chiropractor even though he sounds like a complete and utter arsehole because you've got to recognize this patient has spent five years of her life or however long it is building a relationship with this person and she's probably got a good relationship with this person she's only just seen you (laughs) so she's probably going to trust and like and respect this other person much more than she's going to trust and like and respect you and therefore she's probably going to listen to this other person much more than you and the other thing is, you don't want to make poor old Mrs. Miggins feel stupid. You don't want to make yeah. poor old Mrs. Miggins feel like she's just been hoodwinked by this shyster because that doesn't go well either. Nobody likes to feel stupid or that they've been taken advantage of. And so you've got to be careful in how you, you approach this. So I think, again, it's a case of, you know, okay, yeah, that's fine. Thanks for telling me that. That's, you know, useful bit of information. How does it feel when you go and have these things? Okay, good. Yeah, you you enjoy it. You feel it's good value. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. So um, uh, obviously it seems to be ongoing. So do you think there's any long-term benefits to these things that you're getting? No? Okay, probably not. Okay. So mm. would you like to perhaps hear why you think that maybe that's not going the way that you thought it would do? Okay, right. Okay, yeah, good. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's seek things out a bit more. So that's the way I tend to, to manage these so, issues. It can be so simple like that, like – and I think Pete, like it is probably coming from that. Oh, I need to look smart. I need to impress them. But it, or, or the fact they just want to, like you were saying, they get that writer's, whatever you called it, where they just want to start right speaking and write and reflex. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's probably a really good and way. Try to not it. to let your facial expressions give away oh. too much internally as well. I need to be, that's I need to be, I fight, that's something I fight. Again, I've got a very expressive face sometimes. <laughs> and I'm like, this is, somebody's telling me something and I'm going, trying to stop my eyes rolling I need, in like, back I my need to bite my lips sometimes. I'm like, <laughs> oh, sometimes it can be so nuts. Um, but another one, um, there was, there was two, or three, two or three good ones I had that some people asked. With the um, a nerve versus muscle injury, how do you generally approach that? Obviously, we know the 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 basics of it, and you're assessing people. But this was a specific one of how, what are your differences in your approach with nerve and muscle injuries? Yeah, good question. Well, let's, let's put it in a scenario. Let's put it to a back pain case because there are some causes of back pain that are specific, and nerve root issues would be one of those. So the first thing is obviously making sure you differentiate in your diagnosis. Uh, so that's the key thing. Um, but if we have, you know, a raging, ridiculous issue 
causing not just back pain, but radiating pain down that nerves pathway. I often find that they obviously are very sensitive structures and they often don't like this approach to be pushed into pain. So I am a lot more mindful about the type of exercises and rehab I'll ask somebody to do with some nerve related pain. It's about not sensitizing or irritating things too much and they can be very easily pissed off in the early stages so it's a case of just you know keeping everything low and slow and steady and just really giving things time with these nerve issues to settle down Uh, and again it just needs that period of time finding movements and strategies that don't piss it off too much irritate it off too much let that sensitivity dampen down and then gradually build them back up again once that sensitivity is eased off with something like a muscle injury, a tendon injury, we know we can take the other approach. We know that we can, <coughs> we don't have to be as standoffish. We can get them to work through a bit of pain and discomfort. We know we can push into things and actually that can be better for them. So, you know, we got, what's his name? Jack Hickey's work in the hamstring strain rehab mm-hmm. research that shows painful rehab seems to have a slightly better, fit, better benefit than non-painful rehab in return to play and speed of recovery. And we know with tendinopathy as well, we can push some tendinopathies into quite extreme levels of pain uh, without any significant detriment to outcomes and it actually could be beneficial to improvements as well so i think you know those are the key difference there the amount of pain during rehab nerves not so much muscles and tendons yeah okay to do and i think and that's i've heard you say this many times and you hear it everywhere where people are semi-decent is sometimes rehab and training is just distracting people in the meantime while their body does the healing. And I'll say that's... Good old famous Voltaire said that. was a philosopher back in 1800s. It's like, and and I think when you say that to people, or I think the opposite, sorry, clinicians and coaches think if they say that, they're not going to have a job or they're going to lose clients or they're not going to have business. But A, if you say that, it's like uh, you're building rapport and you're getting people to trust you that you are open. But then you can say, hey, we can actually maybe speed this up by doing certain things and getting you stronger and stuff. So I think, yeah, that's in, in to a certain degree. Like we may not completely have a massive effect, but why not while you're doing it, let's give pain modulation strategies and get you stronger and stuff. And and I think a lot of people, yeah, they don't want to say that because it's like, oh, I'll lose my job. I'm going to not have anyone to look no, after. Pe- People value honesty. And again, you know, telling people that, you know, this stuff gets better with time. We know it does. Research tells us this. Time heals many things in the musculoskeletal world. And I think that's a good starting place to reassure and tell people that, you know, it just makes them relax a bit more, gives them a bit more confidence, you know, that you are, again, just being genuine and open and honest. People can see bullshit a mile off, I think, nowadays. Well, probably not so much sometimes, not, not, but most times. Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> most, the people we deal with maybe, but there's out there there's... There's people yeah, yeah. for anything. With, with but no, I, I think it's a great, and again, you know, sometimes patients need to seek care as part of their natural history. So again, you know, the, sometimes we talk about this natural history effect, but part of the natural history effect may be coming to see a clinician. You know, there is that part of it as well. So again, it doesn't mean that we are superfluous. It doesn't mean that we are not needed as healthcare clinicians because we know natural history works it could be that our part as a clinician when somebody comes to see us is part of the natural history and i think that yeah i i I, it reminds me of one of these i don't know what 
study it was from or something, but they looked at like the difference between if the clinician, if you walk in and they've got a BMW car key or a Honda Civic car key, and it's like, or, or the attractiveness of them. Like sometimes that is part of the psychosocial thing of that confidence of like, we're not doing anything to the tissue, but sometimes someone may come in and go, wow, he's got a BMW. He must know what he's doing. And subconsciously they go, oh, I feel safer. And on textual effects there, Hayden. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's been, a, yeah, lo- as you say, loads of research on that, on, on what the doctor wears, what the clinician wears, the environment, the setting, the posters they have on the wall, their certifications behind them or not certifications behind them. There have been lots of different studies there that have helped, yeah. Mm. Sh- Oh, again, how other things help people feel better reassured other than just the type of treatments that they're getting. It's yeah. it's these contextual effects around the treatment. And again, that, that has positives, but it also has negatives. And again, this is why I think sometimes a lot of misunderstanding about how treatments work um, get stuck in and ingrained is because a lot of people assume the treatment they were getting is what actually made them feel better rather than yeah. recognizing it's these other contextual effects of time or, you know, reassurance and trust and faith in somebody with a nice looking suit That's and a car, boring. you know, all these sort of things as well. Yeah. You know, they, they don't get the credit for making people feel better. It was that shitty treatment that was happening at the time that, that people think is what made them better. I think, yeah, once you understand that, you, like you said, if you can, if you can see that and understand that you may not take things personally, if someone doesn't listen to you or you may not, feel the need to go and say, no, nah, this is right. This is right. And it it can help in a big way for coaches, even like if, not even if it's a, a patient or an athlete, it's like for the coaches that can be beneficial just knowing that. So yeah, I think that's, that's another really good point. Um, one last one. Um, and I save this one for last because I, I know you'll, you won't like it. Someone asked, do you, do we think that simplifying everything is another dogma that is making things difficult? And I knew it's like, and it's one of those things you're like, ah, and even when I read, I was, ah, but what are your thoughts on that? Do you think in the simplifying of things, it's making things harder for people or yeah. What are your thoughts? Um, Yeah, I do think doing simple things really, really well is really, really fucking hard to do. So yeah, it does requires, like I said, it requires more confidence, requires more energy and effort, both cognitively and physically to convince people to keep things simple absolutely so yeah it's it's harder to do things simple um but like i said at the beginning as well there are times when we have to recognize the complexity is is something we need to pay attention to there may be situations where we do need to focus more on the complexity so i'm not going to say it works all the time no way we can't simplify everything we see we can't simplify everything we do there are times where we do have to make things awkward and confusing and complicated yeah absolutely so yeah i I all agree i don't don't think that's a bad question at all i think it's a good question there is no nothing in this world that works 100 percent of the time for 100 percent of the people and that goes with my mythology and uh, approaches with things mate just like anything else what a way to sum it up thank you for for hopping on um it's been a pleasure it's it's kind of crazy that considering like when I started out, you were someone I was watching and going, Oh, I, I love this. Like, and I, all these things. And now I'm here having just a casual chat on a, on a podcast. So thanks for That's taking, good, taking the time out of your day and and always being open to discussing and um, being very friendly. So 
for people who, for everyone who's, who maybe hasn't met you yet, um, where can they find you? Um, what courses are you doing and, and where, where are you going to be in, in the next few months or so? Cheers, Aidan. And again, thanks for the invite to the podcast, mate. I do appreciate when people reach out and uh, want to talk to me about things. Uh, it's uh, nice to get asked. Um, where to find me? Well, I'm very shy and retiring, so I'm very difficult to find. You won't be able to find me on any of the social media platforms at all. <laughs> find him in the patio um, with a peroni. Yeah, that's that's my preferred play, place at the moment. Um, but no, I'm on the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, either at the Sports Physio or uh, under my name, Adam Meekins is normally how you can find me. Um, I've got my website that's got all my courses and my bios and all that sort of stuff on there that people can go and check out and that's the www.thesports.physio so you can go and check that out if you want perfect thank you for coming on cheers Aiden. have a good day mate